Hey, everybody, Stuff You Should Know is going on tour. What are the deets, my friend? Okay, so starting August 8th in Toronto, that's in Canada, we're going to be at Danforth Music Hall, and then Chicago, we're going to be there the next night, August 9th at the Harris Theater. Yeah, Chicago. We want to see your faces. Step it up. Step it up. Vancouver, the Vogue Theater, September 26th. That's going to be a great show, I think, don't you? It's going to be a great one. And then Minneapolis at the Pantages Theater, where we've been before. It's lovely. September 27th. Yeah, and then we're going to swing down to Austin. It's going to be during Austin City Limits, although it has nothing to do with Austin City Limits. We'll be there October 10th. Yes, and then we're going to lovely Lawrence, Kansas. Go Jayhawks. Yeah. On October 11th. And hey, if you're in Kansas City... Or anywhere in that area, this get, is your chance. Get in your car. Yeah. Uh, if uh, you are anywhere near Brooklyn, well, then you should go to the Bell House October 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. We'll be there all three nights. And finally, we're going to wrap it up here in Atlanta at the Buckhead Theater on November 4th for a benefit show where we are donating all of the monies to Lifeline Animal Project of Atlanta and the National Down Syndrome Society. Yep. So for all this information, again, visually and for links to tickets, just go to SYSKlive.com. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And Jerry's over there. So this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. Correct. We are not going dark. No. Although that's a thing. It is a thing for the um, Battle for the Net Action Day. Battle of the Network Stars? Nope, just net. Okay. Battle for the Net. Yeah. Which I would guess most people have heard of, maybe not by that name necessarily, but um, say if you're a John Oliver fan or have been paying attention at all to the... um, FCC rules about net neutrality. Um, Battle for the net is is kind of at the forefront of all of that. Yeah, and since our show comes out on a Tuesday, which is July 11th, and that is the day that uh, some websites have elected to go dark. Uh, I think they're going dark the next day. Oh, on the 12th? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then I don't feel so bad. <laughs> right. right. But we, we figured uh, we were actually, uh, someone wrote in suggesting this. Um then maybe instead of going dark, because you guys probably can't do that, maybe you should just do an episode on net neutrality to teach all the peoples about the things. Right. And Which I thought doing. was a pretty pretty good uh, suggestion. I agree. Good suggestion. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I feel bad that we, um, I can't remember who it was that wrote in, but thank you for that. <laughs> Whoever it was, you know who you are because you're the only one who did. Yeah, and they don't do it for the glory. No. So what are we talking about, Chuck, when we're talking about net neutrality or network neutrality or open Internet? So what that is, um, mainly what people mean when they say net neutrality is the idea that the Internet is an open road and it doesn't have fast lanes or slow lanes. Uh, It is providing equal access to anyone who wants to build a website, let's say, can can throw it up there and have equal access to the, the big rollers on the Internet with huge sites. You're all the same as far as how people can access you. Yeah. And whether or not they can access you. Yeah. And how fast they can access you. Exactly. Right. There was this um, there's this great explainer in Vox about net neutrality that, that we used as a um, resource. But. They, they gave this good example of net neutrality, right? So they, they pointed out that when um, Facebook was created, uh, Zuckerberg didn't have to go to Comcast or Verizon or any of the ISPs, the Internet service providers, the, the companies that provide the last mile, the connection between your house and the public Internet. Okay, yeah. that's what an ISP is. Very important to remember that part, right? Yeah. He didn't have to go to them and say, hey, Will you carry my website on your network? He just built the website, plugged it into the internet, uploaded it to the internet, and it was available to any device or computer that was connected to the internet anywhere in the world, right? Yeah. And the fact that he didn't have to go to them and ask that to be added to their network, the fact that he didn't have to go to them to say, hey, I, I need people to be able to download this stuff fast. So here's a bunch of extra money. Um, 
the the fact that he didn't do that, that's how it has been up to this point. And that is network neutrality. That's the that's the basis of net neutrality, especially from the standpoint of um, developers and companies that that create sites and applications on the web. Yeah, it's uh, wow, that's a very large spider crawling next to me. Sorry, I saw something out of the corner of my eye, and I'm on cockroach <laughs> alert because it's Look summer. Out. Yeah. Nope, just a big spider. I'm gonna let him yeah. go. Uh, Good for you. So it, it's an a le- it levels the playing field, and all internet traffic is treated equally. Right. So not only does it level the playing field for people who are creating, you know, Facebook or Netflix or what have you, it also levels the playing field or levels the experience for users. Right. Yeah. If you're a user and you are on um, the Internet through your ISP, like you should be getting whatever site you want to go to at the same speed as any other site. And your Internet service provider shouldn't be able to decide, "Mm, we don't really like you getting that site. We don't really like you having that app. We're going to make it so that this this traffic moves so slowly, you're going to give up trying to download it or we're just going to block it entirely. Yeah. And why? Maybe because that's a competitor to us in some way. And we would like to serve you up our product faster. Right. So preventing ISPs from being able to do that, that's open, uh, open Internet or network neutrality. Okay. Yeah. That's the basis of it. That is currently how it stands right now. Um, and the idea of network neutrality, it's, it's, um, I guess about 15 years old. Back in uh, 2002, a guy named Tim Wu, who is a, um, a Columbia University law professor now, I believe, uh, coined the term network neutrality to basically describe a level playing field for everybody involved, right? Especially yes. at the, at the, um, internet service provider level. And since then, it's become this topic of debate, like, should it, should this be, um, something that, that, that we all want to adopt as like the, basically the rules for the internet? Should network neutrality be the basis of how the internet is built and approached? Yeah, which is a big deal because we are, even though it seems like we're far along, we are still in the infancy stage of the internet and the impacts, uh, will, would be long lasting and huge moving right. forward. For, from what I understand, most people agree that net neutrality is, uh, at its basis, the, the, uh, uh, an agreeable way to frame the, the internet. Yeah. But that's the way it should be. And there was even back in 2014, as we'll see, we just went through this. Um, and we're going through it again now. But back in 2014, there were a pair of polls that I ran across from two different groups. One of them was University of Delaware. Can't remember who the other one was. But it found that um, even among conservatives, that net neutrality is is highly valued. Something like 80 to 83 percent of people who identify as conservative say that ISPs should be prevented from slowing or blocking traffic. Right. Yeah. And that Congress should actually do something about it. Right. So people people uh, by and large agree that net neutrality is the way the Internet should go. The division that is really kind of come out, especially recently, is how that good can be achieved. Do you achieve it by giving power to the FCC to go police the ISPs and find them and basically make life hard for them if they don't follow the rules? Or do you remove any teeth that the FCC might have in policing the, the ISPs and just leave it up to competition. And depending on where you fall ideologically, as far as, um, government regulation goes is probably where you're going to fall along the spectrum of net neutrality. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's not a, a black and white thing like you would think, um, like, uh, the end user just saying, yeah, you know, there's got to be net neutrality no matter what. There's a lot of users who are like, I don't know, man. All I care about is streaming my stuff as efficiently and fast as possible. And right. if if getting rid of net neutrality would increase that competition and I could get uh, my, my Netflix movies uh, awesomer and faster, then yeah. I'm all for it. Right. Um, 
Then on the other side, you've got big corporate corporations that maybe don't feel like you think they might. Yeah, you would think, you know, that stuff like this, usually when the government's involved, it's like a big guy, big corporation versus little guy kind of thing. But no, there's a there's a dispute between corporations, too, like you said, where the ISPs like Verizon and Comcast um, and AT&T are lined up against the tech companies like the tech media companies like YouTube and Netflix and formerly Tumblr, some of the other um, guys, Facebook, Google, um, where they're, they're on opposite sides of this, this issue, which is strange because they need each other. They have very incestuous relationships that are very complicated and complex. Yeah. Um, but as far as net neutrality goes, they are pretty much divided between ISPs and tech media companies. One side is against the net neutrality rules. One side is strongly in favor of them. Boy, and you talk about complicated, like in the future, companies, corporations merging and then ISPs being a part of the same company or getting into the media right. uh, content game. Like things are getting interesting, you know? Yeah, interesting, but also kind of scary because right now, um, back in, well, back in 2015, the FCC, um, struck a huge blow to the ISPs with a, a set of new rules, a 400 page compendium, I guess you would call it, of rules that basically said, you guys can't mess around anymore. The ISPs are not allowed to block or throttle or provide fast lanes. Um, stuff's getting real. And the net really is going to be neutral from now on. Um, that was under Obama and Trump has appointed a, um, a different FCC chairman who was a member of the SCC before. Uh, and he uh, is not in favor of that at all. So, um, do you want to, do you want to talk about the, what the 215, 2015 rules are and kind of how it is for the moment? Well, here's what I think we should do. I think we should take a break. Okay. All right. We should uh, go back in time when we come back and talk a little bit about the phone companies, which will kind of set the stage for what's okay. going on today. Okay, all right. All right, we'll be right back. S-Y-S-K. You should know. S-Y-S-K. You should know. Josh Clark. All right, I promise talk about phone companies because that's exciting stuff. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it's amazing how much telephone companies have shaped uh, law and policy in this country over the years. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Like with the telephone monopolies back in the day, I mean, that was... Uh, it's all very interesting. Yeah, you used to have to lease your telephone from the phone company. Like people didn't buy telephones, you leased it. Yeah, Isn't wasn't weird? there just one telephone company? Wasn't it just Bell? Yeah, basically. Ma Bell? Yeah, and then they broke it up into the smaller Bells. Uh, the Baby Bells, mm -hmm. I think that's what they call them. This is all like from my childhood, so I didn't really look up much of that. Um, but we're talking about the FCC uh, here as the, the governing body. And back in the 70s and 80s, they were sort of early in on this game with the phone companies in the early days of uh, computer uh, networking. And they they came out really early on. They had a lot of foresight back then and said, you know what? We need to guarantee consumers with the right to use modems on their phone lines. Yeah. Because this is like everyone's seen war games, and we all know that that's, that's how the future is going. Right. you got to put your phone on a big box <laughs> yeah your phone receiver on a big box i wanted one of those so bad oh yeah like you they were so expensive you literally connected your phone right like i had physically. no idea what to do with it i just thought like well that's that's yeah computers plus <laughs> yeah exactly but the but treating the tr saying okay everybody has the right to have a modem in their house and to use a phone line to use it that's that's that was a, a kind of a radical idea oh, yeah and the reason why is because when you're talking about um, telephone carriers, right, like back in the day, um, AT&T, right, Ma Bell, what, what you were saying is you're a private corporation. You have gone and laid telephone wires all throughout the United States. 
you guys built the U.S. telephone infrastructure. And yes, we, the government, the taxpayers, gave you substantial tax breaks and, and, and lots of benefits to doing this. And you guys are the ones making the money operating these phone lines. But we have decided that the phone lines are so important to the public good that you guys aren't allowed to just be a normal corporation that the government stays laissez-faire, hands off with, yeah. right? You guys are deemed order considered common carriers. Yeah, you're and like a, a road. But yeah, well, you're like the people who carry people along roads, like goods and people, right? Yeah. You're like an airline. You're like a, you're like a, um, a cargo transport ship. You're like a uh, Greyhound bus, but, but with telephone lines, right? So the, the government said everyone should be able to have access to telephone lines. You can charge people for that access, but you can't mess with their access. We're, we're not letting you. And in the seventies, one of the things or the eighties, I think one of the things the government said was, Hey, you know how we're kind of the bosses of you guys, even though you're private corporations? Well, we're going to boss you around right now and say any business that wants to come along and use your phone lines to provide dial-up modem service to their customers, you have to let them do it. Because and that it's for was for the public good. It was for the public good. And by doing that, the dial-up internet um, industry was able to blossom unfettered with government protection, right? The government got in between that blossoming industry that was in competition with the telephone companies and the telephone companies that could have strangled it in the cradle. And that was, that was the first big thing that the SEC did as far as the internet goes. Yeah, and in 1996, a very important uh, distinction was drawn uh, with uh, basically Congress drawing up two categories, and this you'll see plays out kind of over and over and will continue to in the future. Um, two different things, telecommunication services and information services. So telecom services, uh, we're, we're talking about the phone lines, that what we were talking about here. Right. And um, as far as the law is concerned, there are a lot of, like you were talking about, legal obligations on these services, and the FCC has a lot of um, oversight and regulation over them. Yeah. Uh, information services, on the other hand, um, they said, like like Facebook, that's an information service. YouTube is an information service. They uh, were less or, well, basically exempt from most of the FCC regulations. Mm -hmm. So dividing those things in two was a very, very big deal. And during the Clinton years, uh, what most people would consider, uh, what Ajit Pai, which we, he is uh, Trump's um, pick to, to chair the FCC, he called the Clinton era, basically up through 2015, a light-touch regulation, uh, which is what he is in favor of. And we'll, we'll get to him a little bit more in a minute. Um, but it's that Clinton era FCC uh, regulations that basically did what you're talking about and said, you know what, we want DSL. That's the newest thing. Forget dial-up. Uh, we want to send faster speeds over the Internet, and right. you all have to play along. So they did it again to the phone companies. They went to and said, remember dial-up modems? No one wants that any longer. Everybody wants DSL. So now you guys have to let any DSL provider use your phone lines, and that let the DSL, the beginning of the high-speed Internet industry, flourish, right? So there's this pattern of the FCC coming in and being like, you guys are huge. You guys who provide that last mile, you common carriers who are the gatekeepers between the public at large and the public Internet, you guys stand in between them and we're saying, you can do this, you can't do that. You can do this, you can't do that. And for a while, the ISPs were classified as telecommunication services, which meant that they fell under way more oversight and scrutiny, like you said, than, say, like YouTube. And the reason the government did this was to let the Internet start to boom, right? Yes. <clears throat> and I, I'm not sure why, I guess because it, it was Bush era and the um, Bush FCC chair said we shouldn't be classifying ISPs as telecommunications companies anymore, but we have to. It's the law. He went to court and the court said, no, actually, you guys are the FCC. If you want to start classifying Internet service providers as information services, which are not as heavily regulated, 
you guys go ahead and do that. Yeah. So the Bush era FCC said, oh, okay, well, we hereby decree that internet service providers are not the akin to the Bell telephone switchboard operators of your, they're much more akin to YouTube. They're part of the internet, which if you really stop and think about it, doesn't make much sense. But that, that was, that, that was a huge sea change in what the government could say or do to ISPs. It gave them way more freedom to do a lot more stuff after they were classified as information services. Yeah, and then uh, in 2010, uh, the chair of the FCC at the time, Julius uh, Ginnikowski, said, you know what, we've got some new regulations on the books. Uh, we're going to prohibit ISPs from blocking content online. Uh, we're going to prohibit what we call unreasonable discrimination. And they're all going to have to be a little more transparent about what's going on. And this is in the era of broadband now. Right. Uh, and then Verizon uh, stepped up and said, you know what? We don't like the sounds of this. This is you, you guys are stepping way over your your congressional power here. Yeah. They said, well, don't forget, you guys classified us as information services. You can't tell us to to do or not do this stuff. We're not telecoms anymore, suckers. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with Verizon. And this is just in 2014. So just a few years ago, mm-hmm. then said those rules have got to go as long as you're classified that way, uh, then you're going to have to play by these rules. Right. But that changed again in 2014 when uh, Tom Wheeler came along as as the chair of the FCC. Right. And he kind of flip-flopped. He came out initially and proposed some rules that people said, no, that's like, that's way too weak, brah. Right. Well, he was it, it, it got leaked and there was a huge backlash and public outcry against it. And but I don't think anyone was surprised because Tom Wheeler was a longstanding um, lobbyist for the cable and wireless industries. Right. So he was an industry insider who was supposed to be regulating the, that industry that he was already friends with and where his background was. So nobody was really surprised when the FCC came out with these really weakened rules on ISPs, but there was a huge backlash against oh, yeah. it. Big. Yeah, that was the first battle uh, for the net. And then Wheeler went, whoa, 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 uh, I was just kidding. Um, <laughs> here's here's my real document. He didn't really say that, but he came <laughs> up with a, a new document with, with bigger, sharper teeth, and that was what you referenced earlier, the 400-page uh, document called uh, the 2015 Open Internet Order, which and was a really big deal. That was a surprise because Wheeler, again, who was a lobbyist for the these very industries, um, not only reversed course from these toothless, weak law rules to much stronger rules that were in step with the what the net neutrality advocates were asking for. He actually went even further and made even stronger, tighter net neutrality rules and then took the time to write something like 300 pages of rules explaining the logic and the thought behind all this, which could pose a problem, as we'll talk about later, for Ajit Pai and the Trump FCC to to get past. But the the it was a huge, huge surprise that came out of nowhere and an enormous victory for net neutrality advocates. And for Obama and his administration, it became one of the signature um, acts, I guess, or, or watershed moments for the Obama administration because he campaigned as a net neutrality supporter. And then finally, you know, one year, the last year of his presidency, his FCC just dropped the mic on net neutrality and said, it is, it, it is done. Yeah. And within that open internet order, one of the first, I mean, it did a couple of big things, but the big, big thing it did was it said, Hey, remember way back in 1934, uh, the communications act, we think we can actually reclassify, uh, broadband as what we're going to call a title two telecommunication service. Right. So remember earlier when we said they split it up in the, the two buckets, uh, this all changed a couple of years ago when they could now classify, you know, Verizon or Comcast as a telecom service, which, again, means it's a common carrier and much more heavily regulated. 
Yeah. So the FCC was like, oh, we can't tell you what to do if you're classified as an information service. Well, you're no longer classified as that. You're classified as a telecommunications service now. And we are up your rectum. It's so interesting that this like we've seen the birth of this industry that like is being figured out in full view. Well, maybe not always full view. (laughs) Right. You know what I'm saying, though? Yeah. It's like no. And it's still it's still being molded right now. Oh, yeah. You know, it's really interesting. So that was that was the first thing that the 2015 Open Internet Order did, right? It reclassified the ISPs back to telecommunication status. It it really it took them out of the same league as YouTube and Netflix and um all of these these um content providers on the web and said you guys actually handle the nuts and bolts of it. You you don't handle the actual content, so you're telecom now. Then it did a second part too, which was basically saying we're the the net is now neutral. We're instilling net neutrality values onto the internet as the FCC. Yeah, and we'll do so in three main ways. Uh no blocking. You can't block lawful content, can't block services, you can't block applications as long as it's lawful and legal content. You can't block it. Uh you can't throttle it. To me throttling is a weird word. It seems counterintuitive. Because uh, throttle, throttle, throttling, I would think, means you speed something up. But in this case, it means you can't slow something down. Yeah, basically. I would say braking. <laughs> right. Uh, not throttling. Yeah, laying but, on top of. Yeah, but throttling basically means as a ISP, you can't come in, like we were talking about earlier, and saying, uh, you know what, you're a competition Netflix to our Comcast services, so we want to make sure no one can stream anything very well. Right. So we're going to slow you down. And then the final one was uh, no paid uh, prioritization. So no fast lanes. Yeah, they can't. Uh, you can't pay someone to juice up your site, right? So that you can get an edge over the competition. Which I mean, like if Netflix is doing that to Amazon Prime, nobody's really shedding a tear. Like Amazon Prime are big kids and they can handle themselves. But if you're, you know, developing the next streaming video app. And you don't have the money to to compete against Netflix. It, you're that's that's a huge disadvantage, yeah. and and it has been pointed out as a a, a potentially stifling to, to new technology. Yeah, for sure. So, um, one of the things that the FCC's 2015 rules said uh, were that. ISPs have to behave in a, quote, just and reasonable manner. I think you said that, right? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. Well, they do. That's part of it. And yeah. they they also said, hey, everybody, from YouTube to you two, uh, you guys, <laughs> if you see an ISP behaving in an unjust and unreasonable manner, let us know. Even if it if it's not illegal, if you think it's unjust and unreasonable, let us know, yeah. and we will look into it. And the ISPs went, oh, God, I hate the FCC. <laughs> so that was a really big thing, and we'll, we'll talk about a, a little a little bit more about why it is such a big thing in a, in a minute. Um, but then one of the other things that it did, too, was it said this also applies to wireless providers. Before, yeah. back in 2010, when the FCC introduced some the the – some net neutrality rules that were challenged by Verizon in court and were overturned by the court in 2014. Um, one of the things that they did was it exempted <clears throat> wireless carriers, wireless ISPs from these laws again, <laughs> because they wanted to promote, um, they wanted to promote growth in that industry. They're like, no one's ever going to use their phone to stream content. <laughs> I think they were hoping that people would. Yeah. And that regulation might hamper that. Right. So that kind of brings us up to speed on where we are today. Uh, enter, uh, Ajit Pai, who was, um, he was a former lawyer for Verizon and is the head of the FCC under, uh, Trump. And he, like I said before, he favors what he calls a, a light touch regulation, mm-hmm. which is basically pre-Title II, uh, reclassification. Right. That basically, if you are, um, if you are an ISP, you are going to be subject to the laws of competition, of capitalism, and those will keep you in line. And the FCC doesn't need to be involved. And the more the FCC is involved, the more stifling these regulations will be. 
and um, basically the, the whole internet will break if the SEC is involved. Yeah, and his theory, I, I watched a couple of interviews with him, and his theory, very smart guy, his theory mm-hmm. is that if we deregulate and kind of make it wide open, then people in, uh, I guess, more rural areas of the country will benefit because if we have all these regulations, it might stifle their internet and we want everyone to have like good fast internet. And he believes that the way forward is through, uh, not regulating this stuff. And he thinks that would lead to rural areas getting like faster speeds. I don't see how that's, I, I don't, I don't see how it's possible. Like, I mean, that just, just by definition, fewer customers out there means it's more expensive to lay that cable out to those people. Well, I think his his argument is that uh, investments in this infrastructure would would dry up because of these rules, which in turn would like the first people to lose out on that would probably be people in rural areas. Like we're not going to bother putting infrastructure in these rural areas because it's not worth our time and effort. I got you. Uh, you know, that's what he's saying. So there's a, there's actually, um, another thing that, that addresses that, that's from the old telephone days. I can't remember what it's called. It's like a universal fund, but it's basically where everybody who has a telephone line or gets service from an ISP, um, paid an, like paid a little tax. Like if you looked at your, phone bill back in the day, there would be a line item that said like the universal something fund. Right. And it was three cents or seven cents or something like that. Something you just couldn't care less about, but put together in a pot for, with the seven cents from all the other phone users, households that had phones, you had a pretty decent amount of money. And that money was, was taken to, to, to create infrastructure out to rural areas. Right. So that people out in the sticks had telephones. There's a, there's a, a bill right now or a proposal in the FCC that was proposed by the Wheeler FCC about creating that or continuing that same thing. Not a bad with idea. Broad, with broadband, yeah. right? So, I mean, that's, there's a solution right there. It's everybody paying an extra few cents <clears throat> so that people out in rural areas can get that kind of infrastructure. And it's the taxpayers paying the ISPs to go lay that cable for people in rural areas. Yeah, he also says because one of the one of the things a lot of people talk about are the the harm that can be caused by this deregulation and there are <laughs> examples even which we'll go over here in a minute but he called those he calls those hypothesized harms and even uh said a solution that wouldn't work title 2 is a solution that wouldn't work for a problem that didn't exist. So right. When in this interview I saw on NPR when they sat down and gave him examples of what can happen, he said, well, this has happened. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. He said, but these are are single examples. And he said, to me, it would have to be there would have to be widespread evidence of this kind of problem uh, in order for this kind of regulation to be enacted. Right. I got you. Um, which, you know, I don't. Maybe it would be more widespread if there was no regulation. So, well, that's the fear. That's another hypothesis, I guess. That, that's the fear that that once you you know take the take take the bridle off of the ISPs, who you know they're going to run rampant. And again, these are multinational companies that are providing most of the access to the public internet in America and you know the Western world. So. it's it's not foolish to think that they're going to very quickly consolidate as much power as they can with the new less restricted freedom uh, to do so that would be given if you rolled back the 2015 rules. Yeah. And a lot of people point out, too, that if you look at the period from 1996 to 2005, while the ISPs were classified as telecoms, the Internet still boomed and flourished. We had a bubble. An internet um, stock bubble happened even pretty early on, and the internet as we know it today developed during that time. Uh, so the idea that it, it's stifling or it would stifle that growth classifying ISPs as telecoms doesn't seem to hold much water. Well, and when you talk about investment infrastructure, it kind of depends on which studies you've looked at. Some have said 
that it uh, it has already. Um, like Pi pointed to 12, I think over uh, the two-year period since the Title II went into effect, the 12 major carriers have had 5% reduction in infrastructure spending. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can cherry-pick another study that might say, well, yeah, but these companies actually put in more money and invested more money. Right. So I think in either case, it's probably a correlation and causation argument. You, you know, maybe you can't necessarily say it's because of the the different classification. Right. And so the numbers we have are not so great that the, there's this lobbying group called um, U.S. Telecom, and their numbers show that the infrastructure investing, this is new fiber cable or upgrades to existing cable being laid in the United States, the broadband infrastructure, that the spending by the big 12 uh, ISPs went down by a billion dollars between 2014 and 2015. And the idea is that's because of reclassification. The U.S. Census Bureau said, actually, no, our numbers show that between 2014 and 2015, the spending on infrastructure went up by 600 million. Right. Not that, not that much, but it was an actual increase. And this is really, really important, Chuck, because if you are looking at net neutrality and the battle over it from a legal standpoint, infrastructure is going to be the crux of the argument because there was a law passed back in 1946. I can't remember what it's called, but it basically bans federal agencies from making capricious rule changes, which is basically like if exactly the situation that we're in right now. You have one administration making one set of rules and then a year or two later, a, a philosophically different administration coming in and completely changing those rules. Well, to do that, the the new administration's regulators have to prove why it's a it's right. a good idea to change these rules. They can't just be capricious, right? And so, uh, observers of this whole battle that's going on right now are saying probably Pi is going to be using the infrastructure. Um, the drop in infrastructure right. investing as his reason why he's going to point to it and say, look, man, this title two classification led to a billion dollar, five billion dollar, whatever billion dollar drop in infrastructure investment. It was a bad idea. We're going to reverse the rules. And if he can do that, then the rules probably will be changed and net neutrality will be rolled back. But the, the figures aren't in yet for 2016. So no one actually knows if overall spending on infrastructure declined or increased or stayed the same. Right. But that's probably going to be the crux of the, the legal argument about changing the rules back. You want to take a break? Sure. All right. We're going to take a break, and hopefully uh, we'll get to hear Josh say lay the cable at least two more times. That's why SK. Uh, all right, so we're back. Um, <laughs> he's still laughing at that, huh? Yeah, it's um, been like a minute or so. <laughs> so before we move on, we should say that this, um, uh, like we were saying about websites going dark, the the Title II is up for grabs again, essentially, uh, coming up soon. And uh, people are being asked if you care about this one way or the other. Um, you can leave your comments on Restoring Internet Freedom uh, by going to FCC.gov and you click on File a Public Comment. Um, and then you click on Proceeding 17-108, Restoring Internet Freedom. And then you can tell them what you think about it. Yep. And the the comments in and of themselves have gotten a lot of traction in pop popular culture. Um, back in 2014, John Oliver uh, did a piece on, um, what's this show called? This Week Tonight? Uh, last Week Tonight? That's right. Thank you. Um, and he uh, he very famously called the battle over net neutrality cable com- company smurfery. Right. And um, he basically he said, everybody, go leave your comments about net neutrality. And the next day, the FCC's website broke. Yeah. It buckled under the strain. 
Uh, and ultimately the FCC got something like 3.7 million public comments about, uh, the, the, the 2015 rules, most of them in favor of them, right? Yeah. So, um, the, this time around, uh, John Oliver's done another thing. The internet broke again, but they think this time it was actually a DDoS attack. It was a, an attack. And there's also been evidence that, uh, spam bots are leaving, um, comments as well. Yeah. Wasn't there like, uh, five million identical comments on the half uh, a million? Oh, half a million. Yeah. There's yeah. been about five million total, but they found like half a million from a spam bot. Right. Which were identical comments. Uh, with, I mean, I think they use real names and addresses. Right. But the Including, comments were all the in, same. Yeah. One of the, um, persons whose name was stolen and used by the spam bot was a Jeep pie himself. Yeah. And this is what it said. It said, um, uh, the unprecedented regulatory power by the Obama administration imposed on the Internet is smothering innovation, damaging the American economy and obstructing job creation. The plan currently under consideration at the FCC to repeal Obama's Title II power grab is a positive step forward and will help to promote a truly free and open Internet for everyone. Yeah. So it's just so interesting to me that both sides want the same thing and they just have two very different ideas on how to go about it. And, yeah. And Someone's right and wrong, right? Well, I think, you know, what's bizarre about this one, there's a, there's three sides to it. There's two sides that are opposed philosophically over the role of government and regulation. And then there's a third side, the ISPs who are like, everybody shut up, stop telling us what to do. We want to just go make some money. Right. And uh, we want the FCC out of our butts. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So let's, let's, we've kind of hit on some of them, but let's talk about what some of the, the arguments in favor of net neutrality are. And then we'll talk about some of the arguments against. Well, um, I guess the first thing that we should point out is that it, it actually will prevent censorship. Yeah. Uh, when that is what it is feared, it won't happen. Yeah. There's, uh, we didn't say that the, um, the name that Ajit Pai, and his FCC came up with for their new rules is um, restoring Internet freedom rules, which has kind of been accused of being new speak or double speak because right. it, it's, it's basically saying like, you know, the FCC being involved in this is was a power grab by the Obama administration and that by getting the FCC out of this whole thing, um, then we're actually protecting against censorship. That it was a government grab of the internet to try to start to censor it. You're right, which is not the case. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on how you feel about government regulation. But yeah, the to, saying that the 2015 rules allowed government censorship is is patently wrong. Yeah, that's what I meant. And if anything, it prevents censorship by the ISPs by preventing blocking and throttling. Yeah, another thing that um, some people, uh, it's weird, the arguments and counter-arguments all, like, use each other. Um, they'll say that, like, no, we, we need deregulation so we can promote uh, growth in this industry, not stifle it. But when you have net neutrality in place, it keeps that low barrier to just getting a website going. And like, like you said before, um, we're in an age now where anyone can design the next Facebook. Uh, and if, if let's say you needed a half a million dollars, like you've designed it and everything's great, but you need to pay an ISP 500 grand to get it going at a reasonable speed, then that'll, that'll kill innovation. Right. It, it, I guess it depends on whose innovation you're stifling. If you're looking at the ISPs as part of the internet, um, well, then having the internet thrive and having new, new, huge, massive traffic driving companies like Facebook that get a lot of people to the internet to use it in the first place, that's an inherent good. Um, but really what you're talking about is, is keeping that unregulated and regulating the ISPs. Um, so I mean, what are you stifling? And the argument is that you're stifling infrastructure investment. So like high speed, cable being laid uh by not by me uh and then um 
you know, getting cable out to rural areas, that kind of thing. Um, the, I think when you, when you hear both sides using the same point yeah. to prove their case, it means that BS is afoot somewhere. <laughs> uh, another thing that we touched on a little bit is like when we said, hey, maybe Comcast as a cable company would want to slow down or throttle Netflix. Uh, so, you know, it, it would not uh, unlevel the playing field. Uh, the same can be said of like a telephone company not wanting Skype to become a thing or right. Internet phone to become a thing. Uh, and so that is a genuine fear that behind the scenes um, there will be throttling going on. Yeah, and that's a real legitimate fear for two reasons, Chuck. One, that um, it, it's the ISPs are starting to branch out and getting into, like you said earlier, the um, the content game. Yeah, the content game, right? Yeah. So, uh, so that's that's rule one, or that's that's problem one. Like for 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 instance, Verizon just bought Yahoo, and Yahoo owns Flickr and Tumblr. And Tumblr, by the way, used to be at the at the forefront, the tip of the spear for net neutrality um, advocacy. Like they were loud and proud, man. Yeah. And then Verizon bought them and all of a sudden Tumblr's silent on the subject, right? Um, but more to the point, since Verizon bought Yahoo, which owns Flickr and Tumblr, it, it told all of its Tumblr and Flickr users that have a Bell South associate or a uh, AT&T associated email address that they weren't going to be able to access their Flickr or Tumblr accounts anymore until they created a new user ID with a using a Yahoo email address. Yeah. So that's fairly anti-competitive. You can make a case. And so that's going on right now as ISPs are starting to get into the, the media game. But it's also happened in the past plenty of times, too. It's already happened. It's been documented that when the ISPs are free to 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 be anti-competitive, they take you up on the offer. Yeah. And like, again, like, Pi has responded to those uh, incidents as isolated examples and not enough of a reason to regulate. Yeah. His feeling is it, it it has to be a widespread problem uh for it to be a real issue. Yeah, I I, I mean I guess that's a position for sure. <laughs> that's a position. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh what about the case against net neutrality? So again there's 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 that whole uh investment thing in infrastructure yeah. which is that's big that's legitimate sure. you know i mean like if if the isps say dude it's just it's, we're not making enough money we're not we're we're really unhappy about this regulation we're we're going to stop putting money into the um american broadband infrastructure then america will suffer as a result we want the highest fastest speed infrastructure we can get and we rely on the isps to build those and then charge us money for access using those high-speed routes right that's what i don't buy though because they want they want the fastest internet because they want your business they totally do right okay and here's the thing like then everybody when they're talking about this seems to kind of dance around this but yeah dude the isps can make a lot of money charging access they make plenty of money plenty of revenue but they're also again they're the gatekeepers they they're the ones who built this infrastructure they're the ones who have this the access to this uh, these networks built and these these customer bases built and if they are unhappy and they want to be sour pusses about it they can stop investing in America's infrastructure and America will suffer as a result. And again, these aren't necessarily companies that have an office on Main Street in Kansas, in Topeka. They're multinational companies. And if they move their favor elsewhere, then America could suffer, right? It's, we're, we're somewhat hostages to their, their whims to an extent. But at the end of the day, America is also one of the best markets for broadband access and they want the money of American users. So they are going to keep investing in infrastructure, I think, but it's a gamble. And if you're, if you're opposed to federal reg regulation in principle, you're going to say that gamble's not worth it. 
Like, I, I don't want to put federal regulation on these guys if it's going to make them unhappy because I don't like fe- federal regulation. They don't like federal regulation. And it could tick them off enough that America's infrastructure could start to sag. Here's the thing, though, and I, I don't know much. I'm not an expert in this, but my feeling is wouldn't they have to all collude and none of them do that? Because as soon as yeah. one of them starts, uh, one of them starts laying the cable like Josh Clark. <laughs> then they'll have the advantage and the other ones will be like we got to start laying the cable cuz they're getting ahead and getting faster well yeah like they would all have to be in cahoots and say well hey let's all just sort of make a ton of money and just say this is how fast the internet is now so here you just dug up another okay, is that issue true? it's totally true if you have a lot of different ISPs who have large massive networks if you have those large ISPs suddenly starting to consolidate, which they are, and you have fewer and fewer, but bigger and bigger right. ISPs, yeah, yeah. they control larger parts of the market to where if you've got basically two major ISPs competing against one another, right. they could conceivably do that. And it would be tough for one to just be like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm laying all the cable. Um, I'm going to take all of your, your market share. It's possible that they could do that, but it could also be likely that they would collude, um, not necessarily in an illegal fashion, but just saying, you know what? We both kind of agree America's the pits right now. We'll wait until the, the winds change. Let's go over to Ireland and invest in their infrastructure because <laughs> they got some cash and they don't feel like, um, like regulating today. Right. Good old Ireland. So it's not like, you know, I think a lot of people think like, well, you know, this is Trump's FCC, so they're just, you know, automatically evil and have no real point. There, there are they, they do represent a viewpoint of anti-regulation sentiment, right? Right. But there's there's an there's another aspect to all of this, Chuck, that has kind of blown my mind. Um, that I that. It's just not talked about all that much. Yeah. One of the, well, two of the things that, that people who are in the net neutrality debate are, are talking about and worried about are, don't really actually exist any longer. Yeah. Two major things. Yeah. So internet censorship and a, a equal access to broadband networks that, that's not around anymore. Neither of those are, are around or, or, an internet free from censorship, I should say. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if censorship is the right word because that implies you have no access at all. Um, but what search engines do and what apps do and what Facebook and Google and YouTube and everyone does in that game is they serve things up to the public that are very much curated according to their needs. I was going to say whims, but they're not whims. Their, their their needs as a company. Um, so it's not like they're censoring things, but they certainly aren't. Uh, I mean, like the, you can still find the things on the Internet. They're not like deleting things and censoring right. things, but they're definitely serving up uh, like search engines aren't, you know, they're definitely all just they're serving up what they want to serve up because that serves their company best. Yeah. Whether it's. Sense? Yeah, whether it's like, um, you know, content that's more likely to, to lead to data that they can use to better target you for ads. Or there are some instances of very like actual censorship where like Twitter, stuff. Twitter can take your tweet down if, oh, if sure. it's deemed offensive. That's censorship. Yeah. Facebook can do the same thing with your posts. That's censorship. So there is a whole group of stakeholders in this whole debate, the like the media companies that do have the legal and technical ability to censor the internet, right? But giving the ISPs the ability to censor the internet doesn't make anything any fairer or more even. It, it just makes things worse, right? So that's the idea that, oh, well, these guys can already censor the internet. So why shouldn't the ISPs be able to? That's a terrible argument. Yeah. Uh, and one of the other uh, big things that's already happening is when we were talking about paying extra money to get your uh, content faster, that's already going on. Right. So there the are already S- fast lanes, essentially. Yes, exactly. 
and that's not supposed to be. Um, but, but it's been going on for a while. Yeah. And so Google and Netflix, um, and among other companies have basically, uh, have paid extra money to connect. They've almost created like a side internet by connecting their routers and servers directly to the ISP's network servers instead of saying, well, we'll just be routing our traffic along with the rest of the internet. They, right. they have essentially paid to have their own special fast lane. Right, exactly. And again, this has been going on for years. Yeah. And Google started it. And, and we all love basically, it. Everybody has it. Yeah. <laughs> you and, know, that's the rub. There was a very famous um, dispute about it that, that made this whole concept. It's called peering, made it public between Comcast and Verizon and Netflix. Netflix's users, and I remember this, Netflix was, their their transmission was degrading fast. Oh, yeah. And Netflix had to go to Verizon and Comcast and say, I need a peer network set up. I need to be able to plug in directly. Here's a bunch of money. I hate you guys. And they publicly accused uh, at least Comcast, I think, of purposefully letting their traffic back up and not rerouting it um, to make it go faster yeah. so that Comcast would have to come and, and, and get, give them money. And now <clears throat> Verizon and um, Comcast's viewpoint is, well, you guys are sending tons of traffic that you're charging for our way without paying anything extra. Why should we have to add, you know, an extra router or server or whatever to, to accommodate this traffic when you guys are the ones generating from generating it and profiting from it. And so that's just kind of been like a, uh, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's the part, that part of that philosophical divide too with net, net neutrality. Who's, who should be paying for the, the increase in traffic? Well, um, and not only that, but these, these, uh, deals are worked out between the companies. And if the FCC sticks their nose in it, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden they are inserting their self in that process. Uh, and, and companies aren't liking the sounds of that either. Well, yeah, like the, 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 the market for this has been unregulated. And for the most part, companies have been okay with it and fine with it. And the ISPs are happy because their users are getting faster traffic and Netflix or say Amazon Prime is happy because their users are getting to watch Game of Thrones faster, right? But the FCC's 2015 rules say, well, we're involved in this now. And remember, we said that ISPs have to act in a just and reasonable manner. Right. So Netflix now under these 2015 rules, if they try this again, you can come and tell us that they're acting unreasonably and we'll get involved, which is another thing that Ajit Pai wants to roll back because he doesn't think the FCC has any any business getting involved in these transactions. Yeah, it's um, man, it's really a slippery slope on all sides, if you ask me. For sure. But to me, the whole thing boils down to do we do we want to give ISPs the the ability, the freedom to block traffic? I think I think of them as the switchboard operators. I think conceiving of them as common carriers is is absolutely right. And I think I think giving them the ability to to censor or block or throttle traffic, I just think is a bad move. Well, I mean, one thing that has kind of been true over and over throughout our history is that greed, uh, has typically wins out when it's, uh, completely unregulated and it has led to bad things for, uh, the end user. Yeah. What, whatever industry that might be. You right. Know? Yeah. The companies might win out and, but, uh, kind of greed, greed kind of doesn't lead down the, the good path for average Joe sitting at his laptop. <clears throat> I think that's true, man. And that is what it boils down to. Do we trust, do we trust them? Do we trust them? There you go. <laughs> to act fairly. Yeah. Let's leave it at that, man. Yeah. Well, well done. Uh, if you want to know more about net neutrality, well, you can get involved and then you can also head on over to FCC.gov. And they also allow comments from international people, too. You don't have to be an American, but you should check a box that says you're international. You just put your name and uh, address on there and uh, leave your comment and you can comment. Remember, you can do that till July, uh, what, 17th, Chuck? Yeah, I think. And, and then there's comments on the comments that runs till August 16th. So... 
go uh, go let them know how you feel one way or the other. And since I said feel, it's time for listener mail. Yeah, click on that international box so it will go right into the abyss of the internet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm going to call this just a very concise Stonewall uh, reaction. We got a lot of good feedback on our Remembering Stonewall episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think both of us feel pretty good about that one. Great, even. Um, Hey, guys, I've listened to and loved your podcast for years. But your recent Remembering Stonewall episode uh, compelled me to write you guys. Uh, As a gay man, I thought, how can these two straight guys do justice to my community's history? A prejudice I subsequently am not proud of because you handled this subject so eloquently, so understandingly. Uh, Very impressed on how well you tackled the subject, guys. Which shouldn't have surprised me since you handle every episode so expertly. But since this subject hits so close to home for me, I was so very happy and proud with the reverence that you gave it. Uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Nice. That's three thank yous. Yeah, three thank yous is that's the magic number. And that is from Craig. Craig, thanks a lot for that. We appreciate it. We do feel pretty good about that. It was interesting and good and stirring and all that jazz. So hats off to you right back. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Craig did, you can tweet to us at Josh Um Clark or SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash stuff you should know or slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant. You can send us an email to stuff podcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuff you should know.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 